That's what I'm talking about. Hello, it's Pete Pomisano. Welcome to Off-Road, a road less traveled podcast. We're back on our regular schedule this week with Adam Ziglis, Buffalo News editorial cartoonist. Now, if you're not subscribing to the Buffalo News, in my humble opinion, we should keep supporting our print media, our news media. These guys are under attack every day. So if you're not supporting the Buffalo News, either online or in the hard copy paper version that I still get, I really wish you would. I think we need to support these guys. Okay, end of fake commercial. Adam Ziglis is with us today, and uh, what a what an interesting conversation I had with this guy. I was really looking forward to having him on the podcast, and he did not disappoint me. I love and admire this kind of talent. I mean editorial cartoons, political cartoons of all kinds. And this guy, for my money, he's the best there is. And he's he seemed like a kid to me. I mean, he's a young man. But boy, was he interesting. So I hope you enjoy this. I'm not going to take too long with this opening uh, information because, uh, frankly, the interview goes a little long, but I, I really couldn't cut much out of it. So here's Adam Ziglis from the Buffalo News, editorial cartoonist extraordinaire and Pulitzer Prize winner. Gee, I hope I don't reveal any of my own personal political leanings. Welcome to Adam Ziglis. We were looking for some of the luminaries in Buffalo. This particular person is someone I really look forward to speaking to. He's uh, probably the only Pulitzer Prize winner I've ever met, much less spoken to. But you have a list of awards a mile long. And what's even more interesting, you went to my alma mater, Canisius College. <laughs> that's, that's all that matters. Go Griffs. Well, go Griffs. <laughs> and, and I remember getting copies of the Griffin and the fact that you drew cartoons. When I was at Canisius, I don't remember the cartoons being particularly good. Well, it was 40 years ago. Well, when I was at Canisius, the cartoons were not particularly good, the <laughs> ones that I drew. But it was I had a lot of fun, and I got to poke fun at things around campus. And I put Father Cook in a couple of cartoons, actually. <laughs> poked fun of Quad Party and just, you know, idiosyncrasies around um, the community at Canisius. And it was it was. I enjoyed it, and I got a lot of feedback from people on campus, and I got a taste of what this is like to to communicate in cartoon form. Did you? Well, let's let's go way back. Now, you're you're a local boy originally. Yeah, I I grew up in Alden. Um, you know, grew up in the Buffalo area, and um, so you went to what, what's out there? Uh, uh, Iroquois High School, maybe. There's I'm just guessing. Right next to Iroquois, uh, Alden Alden High School. So okay, Alden has a little village, but we're in the town of Alden, so it was a little more rural where I grew up. It was great. I mean, I. Two brothers. We were we played. We had a big yard. We played outside a lot. We we're very much into sports. My father was into politics and current events, so we always had the news on. Um, my mother uh, has been a, a nurse for years and years, and so I have this social empathy, you know, sort of gift from her. And you know, it just was a great, a great place to grow up. Yeah. Um, and I was drawn to art at an early age, though. Um, well, at least my mother tells me. You know, we can't remember everything when we're that small, but. I'm told when I was five, I really took a, a liking to just sketching and drawing. Did you start like all the rest of us did in coloring books and things like oh, that? Stick and figures and <laughs> coloring books. What I think really... Um, like I can't remember the first time I recognized that I have no art skill. <laughs> you know, I, I remember I remember coloring books. I remember those. Uh, Mighty Mouse and, and things of that nature. But So for me to ask you the typical question, which is, when did you first discover you had this, this gift? It, it, you probably don't remember, I, but yeah. there, there has to be a time when someone else said to you, you know, Adam, you really are very good at this. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to credit my mother for identifying that kind of thing. I mean, for me, the person as a kid, what I remember is I just remember loving it, and 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 I enjoyed so much to just create these worlds, and and I just love drawing people and animals, things that had life. Um, so I, my mother knew that, so my parents would both get me. My mom got me this giant book of um, animals from different continents. And I remember this was. When I was maybe six or seven, I remember I got a. There was a section on Madagascar, and there were just all the unique monkeys and animals there. And I made this like whole little comic strip world of Madagascar monkeys well before the time of the movie Madagascar. <laughs> I don't know, um, very very much a coincidence, but I, I just that's 
was just fun for me. It was were they just storytelling. Still pictures or were they telling stories? Were you doing yeah uh, telling individual stories? Individual fra- se- several frames and so on. Yes, I would develop characters. I had like a Pato character and like an II, and I just I you know I converted them into cartoon form, and then I had them doing different things. There were still still panels, but multiple panel strips at times, and I just thought it was fun. It was almost a form of storytelling. Later, um, I started getting more into comic books and I would you know make up my own comic heroes and and then mad magazine and that so I, I I began getting more and more influences as I grew up and it was just interesting to me and at the beginning were you aiming for realism or were you like I have a friend of mine the drummer for my old rock band Jordan used to draw the craziest they were always mad magazine type yes. crazy characters yeah and and in your case were you always sort of aiming for the most realistic rendition of a lemur or right or at times there were definitely times where i where i was like this there's something so beautiful about just rendering something perfectly real and shading it right but i have i've always had an interest in stretching real and um you know the sort of the abstract and sort of finding figuring out which details to highlight and have very realistic and which parts to pull and have fun with mm-hmm. um so even even when i would dabble in <clears throat> portraiture or realism um, with drawing, I would I would find myself still stretching certain things because it was just why not? I mean, this is the beauty of you're not taking a photograph. You're you're able to create your own world. So I was always tempted to do that. And uh, there were times where I really loved. I think every artist should have a background in being able to render realistically. Mm-hmm. And then I think a great caricature artist has to be able to draw a good portrait or a decent portrait. And then from there, know how to pull it apart. Yeah, I do want to ask you about caricatures shortly, but it's it's interesting that you say at the beginning you you would aim for realism, then then you would perhaps exaggerate little parts of of right. the creature or the person you were doing, and yeah, because caricatures to me are, when I look at them, when I look at your caricatures, or or even the the guy at Crystal Beach. 20 years ago who would and and I would look at a caricature and say yes that that looks like the person and I never realized before that his nose was curved or I never realized before that his forehead was tiny or that his hair but but somehow a caricaturist picks up on the most identifiable distinguishing uh, feature of a yeah. person and it, well, we'll talk about that in a second because I wanted I wanted to get into your your of course your editorial cartoons. I did I did speaking of Canisius College, I did go and skim through your whole honors thesis because because I found it a fascinating just a fascinating idea about whether editorial cartoons are art or not. And your and your thesis was that editorial cartoons are art and and how you defined art and how you had interviewed different cartoonists and all these people who may have been influential in your in your own style later on as I yeah. read later on with the interviews with them all right so anyway so you you got out of Canisius College you graduated with a degree in it not you know art, what was it computer science math and studio arts yeah I originally wanted to double major in math and computer science and I was um in when I was finishing high school, you know, you asked earlier what was the moment that someone identified. My mother, when I was in elementary school, knew that I was good at drawing mm-hmm. and and wanted to encourage it. So she, the first sort of step she took beyond just giving me books, um, she signed me up for a, a special summer art classes at UB for for advanced like art students, and that was a lot of fun. Before this is in this in was in middle grade school, school? Oh, yeah. middle school, okay. And so I went. They had a program. It was several classes. We, we created drawings and paintings. And I remember specific, vividly, actually, it was during the first Gulf War, and it was I, re- I created an image of Saddam Hussein and, and George H.W. Bush, and it was my first stab at politics at all, and it, I had no idea what I was, what I was talking about. And, and actually, around that time, I also, on an assignment from a, a teacher in middle school, I um, entered uh, Buffalo News Editorial Cartoon Contest. They host. I'm now in charge of that contest. I've been for years, but I was a finalist. I got to meet Tom Tolles. Um, so during yeah, middle school is really the time that I think my parents identified that. But my dad being a mason, my mom being a nurse, blue collar, hardworking family. I think. They didn't say this overtly, but I always thought art is a nice hobby. <laughs> um, you right. know, but you need something. But to you make, need something to make a to living. pay the bills. Yes, and which is smart. So my idea was because um, I, I really I do still love math and critical thinking and 
um, computer science, that type of thing fascinates me. So I had this critical analytical side of my brain that I was that I would get all this satisfaction from, you know, challenging and, and flexing. But then I love drawing. So I thought, how can I combine the two of those? And, you know, there's it's still a huge it's a huge field right now. But at the time, it was just this blossoming field of computer animation. And um, I thought I would go into compu- software engineering or computer animation to combine mm-hmm. my, the visual and critical thinking sides of my brain. And Canisius, I, I looked at several schools, but what really pulled me to Canisius was Dr. Jeffrey McConnell, the chair of the computer science department. He pitched this. He's actually a graphics expert. And he had told the story about an alum who went on to um, write software for LucasArts and the one uh, technical Oscar or Academy Award for um, Yoda's hair and skin. So it sounded amazing. You know, it's really successful um, in this field that I could potentially go into. So that was what pulled me in there. And throughout my, you know, and I I don't want to talk down about the computer science and math uh, programs there because they were wonderful. But as I went through the programs, I also realized maybe they weren't fully me Mm -hmm. um, in terms of especially in the field, like computer, if you're a software engineer or a programmer or a coder, you know, you're really, you lose a lot of control. It's, you're very much a small part of a gigantic team and doing something that's very minuscule and, you know, I like to be a big picture idea person. And that sort of bothered me. Um, And and then meanwhile, I'm on the the school paper, the Griffin, like controlling 100% of this four by five inch space. That is 100% me putting my, 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 my opinion out there, having your a opinion, voice, your full creative, yes, yes, expressing free speech, and that was something brand, totally different from my experience on computer science, and it was very, very attractive. When you were at Canisius, and you were, was it a double major, or how did that work? It started as a double major, um, and when I started getting more and more into cartooning, um, I, I wanted a minor in studio. I was taking more and more art classes um, to sort of help, you know, satisfy that that itch. And as I was doing that, I'm actually, I think, one course shy of a double major, and it's a real analysis on the math side. But So I, it ended up being a math minor, um, a two, two minors, I believe. Um, but, the, but the studio arts w- is your major? The major is computer, it was computer science. Oh, computer yeah. science. So I actually skipped um, a year in the CS courses because in Alden they had a, um, a, a sort of a, a computing, some AP computing courses that mm-hmm. we, I wrote, like basically little video games as a senior in high school. And the C++ that I learned there when I, when I interviewed at Canisius put me as a sophomore in a lot of the computer science courses. Oh, great. Yeah, that, I was, I, we sort of skipped over what happened at Alden, but I assume you followed an, an art sort of strand there as well. Yeah, because, because you art were and already, science, yeah. If you were already sort of identified in middle, middle school, certainly you were, you were going. So now you get out of Canisius and, and <laughs> that somehow, somehow you, you ended up with an internship at the Buffalo News. Yeah, it was, you know, very, a lot of good luck, and it was just very serendipitous. And I mean, Tom Tolls, in, in the cartooning business, it, you need a lot of luck, and you need to really be persistent. And the t- my timing was just was just great um, in terms of Tom Tolls. You know, he was there since 1982 uh, at the Buffalo News, basically the year I was born. And he was there for decades, um, became a, like a local institution. I yes. followed him growing up. You know, he's one of the smartest, most clever uh, writers out there in terms of cartooning. He, his work is fantastic. And after 9-11, or I, I'm sorry, before 9-11, uh, Herb Block had passed away at the mm-hmm. Washington Post, creating an opening. And editorial cartooning, I was learning this writing my thesis at Canisius um, just because I wanted to, uh, you know, write something uh, on my passion. I didn't have to choose my major, but I was I was interviewing cartoonists and realizing this field has, has been getting smaller and smaller due to syndication and consolidation of media. And whenever there's an opening, you know, it's just like this weird game of musical chairs. Like everybody that wants that job that already has a job applies. And, you know, often um, when another cartoonist that has an existing staff position gets a new job, they often pull that chair out and they don't fill it. So then the field shrinks and shrinks, and the people and they start just bringing in syndicated cartoons yes. as they do at the news when you're, whenever you're not out. Right, making it just really hard to break in mm-hmm. as a younger artist. So it was, and it still is very hard to do that. Um, so the timing was good in that Tolls had, and I heard he didn't apply for this position at the Washington Post. That he was approached um, by the paper. And he took it on the condition that he could work from Buffalo during the summers, which was, you know, a smart move on his part. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. So um, 
great Buffalo guy. You know, Tom and I are friends now. Um, anyway, so I saw the opening. Um, 9-11 happened, and that apparently they interviewed a couple of some of the people I interviewed in my thesis for the news for Tom, uh, the position for Tom Tolles' job. And after 9-11 happened, there was a, a small recession, if you recall, and I then do. the newspaper um, put a hold on that, on hiring for his position, and everyone kind of took that as they're not going to replace him. So there were years, maybe two to three years or so, that where they never replaced Tolles. They kind of had their sports cartoonists do a couple of political cartoons. Anyway, that, so then 2004, that was my year I was graduating. I had attended a cartooning convention in Lexington, talked the dean into paying my way somehow. I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> met all these amazing people and, you know, was writing my, my thesis on cartooning, this 80-page paper, just because I loved it. And, you know, I was encouraged by my advisor and my mentor, two of them, Tom Joyce and Mel Schrader, who both had passed away, um, great friends of mine, amazing people. And they were both like, you know, you, they were encouraging me that I had a knack for this, and they're like, you pursue this now. You know, there's a, this is, you strike when the iron's hot. Tom Joyce really pushed me because I had sent in my, my book to the Buffalo News, but, you know, I didn't realize this at the time. I know now that people, newspapers, art departments, they get stacks of stuff all the time. You know, portfolios, people that want a job, that want mm-hmm. freelance work. And people are so busy in the newspaper industry that no one looks at it. No, it goes in a drawer somewhere, and or if not, right in the garbage. In the garbage, you don't even they don't even open it up. (laughs) That's right. And I mean, so so with to his encouragement, I I showed up um, unannounced, you know, in the newsroom with my with my book in hand and that I could give them. Jerry Goldberg was the editorial page editor at the time, and he was, you know, Jerry's a great guy, but when I, you know, very intimidating as a college kid. He was the cartoon character of the tough newspaper editor, like from the Daily Bugle. Like he, <laughs> Daily Bugle. He had like— J. Jonah James. Yes. Yeah. He, you could picture him with a cigar in his mouth, yeah, yep. even though I probably did when you could smoke in the newsroom. But he had a barrel chest and suspenders, and he would strut around the newsroom, Central you know, so casting. to speak. <laughs> nice. So the barrel-chested uh, uh, yeah. editor. Yeah, Jerry Goldberg. Barrel chested. Now he was not. Was he over Margaret Sullivan or Margaret Sullivan was the editor in chief. Uh, Jerry Goldberg was the editorial page editor, so editorial he page oversaw editor. the editorial page. Okay, and um, you know he very much was, I think, put off by the fact that I didn't set up a meeting. So he, you know, here gave comes me, this uh, kid. Here comes this with kid with his pictures. With yeah. his little picture. Right. Come in here, kid. <laughs> what yeah, what, what do you, you think you are? So, you know, I, I basically um, had enough time to just kind of hand it off and say, hey, this is Adam Ziglis. My name is Adam Ziglis. I've sent you some emails. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you got my – I know you're not hiring, as you told me, but I would love maybe an informational interview at some point just to get some feedback on my portfolio because I really want to pursue this. And he basically, you know, didn't look at it all, th- like thumbed through it and was like, thanks, uh, good luck to you. That was it. So I pretty much thought that was it. But somehow um, uh, John Davis, uh, the d- design director, and Margaret Sullivan d- did get the book. And what I ended up putting in there, I think this was was wise of, of at the time, not just editorial cartoons. Actually, there was a tiny portion of it. I put in um, the, the Griffin that I redesigned. I redesigned the newspaper. I, I created little graphics throughout it. I did technical illustrations, caricatures, editorial illustrations. I actually illustrated um, an entire graphics book with Dr. McConnell as part of my um, uh, one of the grants I got as a student. So I had all this. I thought I could show them I'm a jack of all trades. You know, hire me. I'm a Swiss Army knife. I can do whatever you need. I was just going to say, you're, you're an illustrator of yeah. all kinds. It's not just editorial cartoons. That got me in the door, yeah. Wow. And, th- and that I knew that they're not going to just hire an editorial cartoonist with no experience off, you know, right, you know, off, out of college. So my tactic was get in the door. So uh, she, Margaret, saw some potential and gave me an internship in the art department, which technically I was graduated, and usually it's just for college students. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it began. And what were your responsibilities as, as an intern? As an intern, or I— Or just whatever they would throw at you. Okay, we, we need a, a cartoon for the uh, uh, the book section. Yes. And we need, you know, some kind of exactly. drawing for that. And so you just take care of that. And mm-hmm. you still do a little of that, I, I understand. A little bit. And not, at this point, very little. I used to do it still on the side. I kind of phased it out, but I enjoy doing that. I mean, I, at one point I did a— went to the Erie County Fair and created this giant um, drawing that of all these little jokes of things I saw in the fair, and they printed it on the, uh, the whole page, like this broadsheet. And the original is being displayed at the Carnegie um, at, at Niagara Falls, an art, an art show for cartoons coming up soon. Um, 
But I would do all these little fun things. Um, generally, as an intern, though, they would say, like, you know, we need a spot illustration for this story here. And mm-hmm. so it would range from something small to if you got maybe once every couple of weeks a cover art. And there was a staff illustrator, Dan Zakrzemski, there. And the art and Vince, who is now the design director, was this amazing um, designer. And both of them were great where I could bounce stuff off. I grew in leaps and bounds by talking to these talented people and changing my technique and improving. So it was kind of like, you know, a way to sort of hone my craft. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, I expressed to Margaret Sullivan, the editor, that what I really wanted here was to draw political cartoons. And like I, I pitched my thesis, you know, during my interview, and I really, I told her this is something I believe that's important to carry our tradition on here in Buffalo. And she agreed. Um, she kind of let me know that they want to hire a cartoonist at some point. So go to Jerry if you have a concept for a local cartoon and pitch it. Mm-hmm. So even though I was getting assignments from the art department, I would, if I'd get a concept for a local cartoon, I went to Jerry. And, you know, we didn't start off on the right foot. So it was kind of a battle almost each week. And there were times where I had to sort of go to Margaret and resolve it because I was getting told I couldn't print, print this cartoon because it disagreed with the editorial board. <laughs> and I, I had told, I reminded him that I was told that I was a, like a columnist, that I didn't have to agree with the editorial. Sure. And, and, and so I think a lot of cartoonists, if they don't fight for that, that freedom, it, it's not a given. Yes. And so the first, not only through the internship, but being hired the first couple of years and going through different editors, I would have to reestablish that and fight for that. And, you know, over after five to 10 years, I, I've established a, like a, a fair amount of freedom um, in terms of to say what I want. And it took, it took a long time, would you say? I mean, I think what helped, it probably took five to seven years, but what helped that um, was I went through an unusual number of editorial page editors in a short period of time just because of um, there was, you know, Jerry had retired the year after mm-hmm. I started. And then there was an interim. And then after they replaced the interim, um, there was Steve Bell, Mike Vogel, and then he retired. So, I mean, usually it's a position you keep for for your career. Yes. Um, so I think I'm on my fourth or fifth editorial page editor by, you know, year eight. Um, and, and each one sort of that would inherit me um, kind of, well, things are working well with the cartoonist. Like, let's not, you know, mess with it. So, mm-hmm. so I think that worked to my advantage. Well, that's that's a great story. But I now I have to get into the whole cartoon cartooning process. Uh, I'm I discovered political cartoons with Bruce Shanks, and uh, who of course you recognize the name. And uh, I even remember looking up quite recently some old Bruce Shanks cartoons because. Uh, you know, Tom Tolles had the little guy down in the corner that was his alter ego, and he would comment on things. And I, I thought I remembered Bruce Shanks having something like that, but he didn't. He just had the the guy with the the globe head, who sort of represented uh, his 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 uh, being, as as far as I could tell. But anyway, I go back a long ways. I even entered your your uh, your contest. You know, what was it? The uh, was it over the summer that you did the the political cartoon, not even political cartoon. It was yeah, just the caption the contest. caption contest. Yeah, I, I think I got third place once, or did maybe you? even nice. maybe even. I did, I did recognize the name. Where I, you know, this, it was a huge. I, I'm sad that I am not doing it at the moment, just because it was so much work. It was a huge hit. I I'll, mean, it was a huge hit, and I'll bet it was a ton of work. It was a ton of work because I would do it myself. I would, so I'd come up with, and I wanted these cartoons. They're like the New Yorker type of caption contest. I wanted them to have some kind of local flavor, but mm-hmm. also be clever and not just totally random. So I put thought behind it. I, I probably more than I should have, and then. You know, people love anything Buffalo, and people just are very supportive. So that they, I mean, I was getting the first one was like um, over twelve hundred captions, and and I think on average it was like between seven and eight hundred a month. Wow! And 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 who would go through those? I would go through them. Oh, yeah, because well, you right. have nothing better to do. Right, of course. Oh, yeah. God. So I'm trying to enlist people to help, and I did. I got a few people to help at one point. And it was I was cutting down the work as much as I could, but then I you know, I basically told my editor like, look, I need to take a break from this because I need to focus on everything else. Sure. Um, so I do plan on bringing it back in some form. I hope um, I may be putting together working on a book project that I can't get into the details now, but that will keep me very busy this next year. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, I might delay the caption. Do you have in your mind? Do you do you plan to have a certain number of 
national cartoons and then you want to make sure you get a Buffalo one in? Or does it just when the Buffalo, do you in your mind have a goal that I want to make sure I get something in there that's Buffalo flavored or just when it happens, it happens? When it happens, it happens. But I do, in like in an ideal world, I would love to have a local cartoon each week that to kind of keep that presence there. And at one point, the publisher, not the current publisher, but Stan Whipsy, mm-hmm. he he tried to impose um, on the whole editorial department, including me, a quota on local. Like I think he he may, he had a certain quota for local editorials. I see. And he, out of the five cartoons I do a week, he wanted two local editorial cartoons. And as soon as I heard that, I went straight up to his office with an appointment. With you know, I made a meeting. <laughs> no, I you learned your I lesson. I didn't go unannounced. <laughs> <laughs> but I, luckily, I successfully persuaded him into in dropping that for me because. You know, an editorial, you can you don't need the creative concept to, to be there to write it. You right. you can just you you can it, use it to inform even and and, and create you know and tell people about something that maybe they don't know about. The parameters of an editorial cartoon are different. Um, first of all, you need the topic to be well known enough, and people have the readership instantly recognizable. Instantly recognizable. Um, so, some if it's a slow news week locally, that's something that's not even ripe for a cartoon. You you know. It'll look like it'll it'll dilute your work. You know, I told him I don't want to create subpar work just to get a local one in. Mm-hmm. And you know, I said some weeks I may have no local cartoons, but there are some weeks that I'll have two or three yes. or more. So it all depends on what's going on. Well, the news and he and he bought that and he you know he bought that and he agreed because it's a, it's it's much more of a creative based um, craft than editorial writing. Um, and does the news so. do they go out of their way to find alternate? <laughs> Alternate reality cartoonists for the other side of the page. You know exactly what I'm talking I about. Do. I do. And 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 one of them, uh, Ramirez, it was quoted in your in your thesis. Yes. Um, as somebody that you admire a great right. deal. Yeah. Um, and Lisa was it Benson? Benson. So I mean, they specifically are they trying to just show two sides of the coin? Or are they just trying to irritate me? Um, probably just irritate you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, uh, they they are trying to. Right. They, they view the editorial page as a marketplace of ideas. So they I don't think people mistakenly believe that they try to balance me out with somebody right wing. Like, I don't think that they try to do that. You don't think so. I mean, not Cause that's how it feels. Not in to those me. words. <laughs> but I mean, they, they do try to show the opinions on, on the whole spectrum, I guess you would say. Yeah, I've noticed that. What's difficult with. First of all, with editorial cartoons that are conservative, and second of all, today in this climate, is that, well, let's go. First of all, editorial cartoons that are conservative, um, there's a it's a, a very small minority of cartoons and cartooning in general. Um, like I think the nature of an editorial cartoonist is to defend um, those that are that are needing, you know, the, the afflict the comfortable, comfort the afflicted. You know, you sort of you want to speak truth to power. A lot of the principles that are just sort of native to a cartoonist make these cartoonists naturally more progressive minded mm-hmm. because you're trying to improve society, you're trying to find ways forward. So I think just the personality of a conservative writer is not natural always to, to be to fit into sort of a cartoonist type of role. So as a result, there are just there are very few conservative cartoonists out there that are making a living doing it. So that I think, with the lack of competition, some of them may, you know, not feed off of each other like the liberal cartoonists do. So that is something that has always bothered me. Um, but now it's even more strange because, really, a lot of the mainstream conservative respected opinion makers, writers, and cartoonists. For the first, you know, year when Trump was elected, they did not support Donald Trump, and and they thought the man was represented things that were counter to the values of conservative America. And I, I remember those cartoons well. Yeah, and and but what's strange is a lot of these conservative cartoonists would not even even draw him. Like mm-hmm. they didn't know how to handle it because they secretly and they would express to me privately that they did not support this man, but they also know a lot of their readers maybe support him, Certainly. and it became difficult. So it also opened a strange, in a strange way, it opened room for sort of underground, right, radical right-wing sort of commentators, including cartoonists. This guy, Ben Garrison, has become now a superstar who's basically an alt-reality cartoonist. Like, his, 
the stuff he's living in a different planet in terms mm-hmm. of the fact base that he's working on. Yes. So I know this is an example. So he's got you know hundreds or uh, hundreds of thousands of fans as far as I can believe, and Trump even invited him to the White House at one point. Meanwhile, you have Rick McKee, who's a, a conservative colleague of mine who I respect very much. He's been hammering Trump lately because he just thinks he's not conservative and he's sort of a cancer on American democracy. Mm-hmm. So it's a very strange place to be in conservative America. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> sorry I had to get into that. <laughs> but, it's you know, it's, it's a it's lovely been, topic. It's, it's a question that I wanted to bring up. And, and I, the, the Ramirez I is going a to beautiful to, art, though. Michael oh, he's, Ramirez, he's, yeah. uh, he's terrific. He really is. And, and I looked at many of the cartoons that you had, samples of his. And plus, when I was reading your your, your uh, thesis, I went online and and looked him up, and I said, "Oh yeah, I remember this guy." Because you can, yeah. the style is very distinctive. Very distinctive. You know right away. Very detailed. Um, but I really need to know how do you how do you do a cartoon? How do you set it up? I, I read that 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 you, um, you you somehow put down two or three, four or five different little sketches, and then you run them by some of the. Some of the reporters or some of the people in your in your office. Uh, do you do, you do right. these at home? Do you do them at the office? Uh, and yeah. then do you, do you take ideas from them about you know many of them are just one liner punchlines. Some of them as well as having a meaningful right. uh, lesson. So I'm very curious about. Yeah. That. So my I mean my day I, I do five a week. So you can kind of just think about it as like one a day. Mm-hmm. Um, however, that's not always the case. On Thursdays I have multiple deadlines, and some some days I will produce two in one day, and then I will spend another day that week just like researching. So it doesn't always, you know, it's not as cut and dry. But generally speaking, I, I start my day from home. I work from home about half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I have a, we, we moved into a, a larger house and we have, I have a better home studio now. Um, so I, I, which it's nice because it, it's quiet. I can read, I'll go through some emails and, and feedback from some, uh, some of my critics and fans and, mm-hmm. and engage them a little bit and then get caught up on the news. And really develop what the message is going to be for the for the cartoon for the next day. So you know, if you want to think of the cartoon in three phases, I work on the message in terms of what it's saying, and I'll just kind of get my head around what my voice is going to. I want my voice to be, and I'll I'll take notes. I'll have. Does the topic of, just sort of strike you as you're reading through newspapers or reading through articles, and then you say, "This is something I want to address." I mean, gener- most of the time, I'm working on a lot of stuff in tangent, or, you know, on parallel. Yes. Um, so I, I will. I will not always say this is what I don't always make the call. I typically make the call on what cartoon I'm going to do by maybe two o'clock mm-hmm. and have it done by four or four thirty. So I'm working on a lot of ideas at once always. Okay. And I have even the past week's ideas that are that are you know I have st- I have a large stack of rainy day ideas and concepts that mm-hmm. I just you know for in- especially in this day and age I'll have sometimes anywhere from six to twelve sketches, um, you know, on a slow day before the world of, you know, 24-7 media and Trump, we, you know, maybe I would have like at least two or three, but these days I'll have sometimes up to 12 some are variations on the same idea. Are they? Are they? They're, do they manifest themselves as little cartoons, or, or just as an, a written text idea? I, I use eight by eight and a half by eleven printer paper, mm-hmm. um, and I will very quickly, very roughly sketch. Like spit it out is the way I think of it. Like spit mm-hmm. the idea down, like visually. Um, there, are, I also have a running log on my phone of notes that, j- like comedians do, will have like a phrase yes. that will jog the memory of mm-hmm. what that joke or concept is. And I'll have that because I'll think of these sometimes in the shower, making coffee, you know, driving the kids to school. Sure. So if I think of something, um, because everything's operating in the background or in the back burner at times, I'll quickly make a note on my phone. I used to, you know, physically jot it down on paper. But then I'll convert those notes to like a like a quick sketch, um, uh, and there are times with visually speaking and from a graphic design standpoint, I'll want to flesh that into three different options. Maybe you know I'll I'll take a visual element out. I'll zoom in from a director. You know, get closer um, or play with scale. So even once I get that concept down, there's tweaking on the writing. You know, I try to fine tune the writing, but I also fine tune. Um, the the visual composition, but of that's it. just you yourself doing yes. that fine tuning and, mm-hmm. and tweaking and so on. At this so point, then, it's all myself. It's like, all yeah, yourself. Yeah. So then you got a stack of these, right? So about midday, um, like a little after lunch, I'll be in the newsroom, and when I'm satisfied with the group of cartoons I have, I will, as you mentioned, I, there's a group of reporters that I respect that have different backgrounds and different sensibilities, mm-hmm. um, and some of the editorial writers. I'll, I'll just I'll show them the cartoons without any kind of direction or comment, just to see how they communicate. And you know, 
a, a few of the, you know, my one colleague, Steve Watson, a, a few of them had, at times had been like, you don't even pick the ones that, uh, that I, that I go with all the time. He's like, why do you even show me? And I'm just like, <laughs> it's not cartooning by committee, you know, it's, but I, but they have always have, I go to them because they have great feedback and because they have, they're right, they're great writers. You know, they may say like, some of the reporters may just say, just so you know, think about, you know, the timing of this or like, I would double check the fact on that. So I, 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 I show them for, for fact-checking, for timing, for communication. Might they tweak the actual caption? Well, well they, they, they don't really tweak the writing in terms of, like, this, is a, this, is, this should be stronger. I actually wish I had more of that because everybody needs a good editor. Mm-hmm. It's more just like um, if there's something that I'm going off of factually that they didn't think I should double-check or— I see. Um, yeah, I mean, if there's like a like a grammar issue, for sure, but more, it's more so how the idea communicates. Like, uh, yeah, I, that's, I didn't mean grammar. I yes. meant the way a comedian would tweak a certain word that because you know words with a C are funny. This yeah. is this is better. It's almost than like that. testing a joke to yes. a group of people before you go out on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 they don't because they're not cartoonists. They don't suggest like change it this way. But I'll see from their reaction that maybe it takes three seconds too long for them to get it, and I need to make it a little bit clearer because for me I used to just really construct cartoons that were more puzzles and I wanted people to think which I do want people to think but I wanted them to think to the point where it was like that aha moment they got it mm-hmm. the more you make them think the more you're going to lose certain people and in this day and age with with the truth under attack so much my goal is to express an important opinion forcefully in a creative manner but so, I mean, I look at things a little differently now, and I just want to make sure I'm, I'm hitting it as hard as I can. For example, um, I, your get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't even have to get into it, but you know exactly what President I'm talking about. President pardoned all of those. War criminals, yeah. War criminals. You had the, it was a get-out-of-jail-free card from Monopoly, and it was instantly recognizable, at least to people of my generation. And it was just... <laughs> The perfect, you know, the perfect analogy to what was to what was happening. Right, right. But it did take a split second for you to right. go, oh, I get that. And and not every cartoon is a little different. Where some are designed and meant for you to do that. They're meant to be little puzzles. Mm-hmm. And I think part of what I love about consuming editorial cartoons, my fa- some of my favorite cartoonists that do that success- successfully, is that makes you a part of the process. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, because you feel like you're engaged. You have to figure it out, and then you get that little aha moment. So it brings you into the process of figuring it out, where other times they're meant to more be like a punch in the gut. you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, each one, just like a column, has a different approach, slightly different um, you know, way it's sort of meant to be delivered, I guess. And, and, and not intentionally, like you, you don't say, well, I'm, this one's going to be a puzzle. It's just sometimes that's the way it works out. Conceptually or the topic, you know, if you want, it, it, sometimes it's just really natural for that topic to be, have like a brainy or intellectual type of approach to it. Mm-hmm. And other times you just want to throw a grenade, you know. I, I especially enjoy the throw a grenade ones. Um, just quickly about, about uh, being syndicated. I noticed that your cartoons now say uh, Kegel ca- cartoons. Uh, is, is that so? Uh, Kegel cartoons is one of a handful of syndicates, national syndicates uh, for cartoonists and for columns for uh, opinion writers. Um, there, you know, there's Washington Post Writers Group. There's there's various different syndicates. Each one has a little bit of a different model per mm-hmm. se. Um, I've been with Kegel cartoons for years, um, and they're it's sort of like um, a, it's like a package syndicate. So a newspaper. Um, like we'll subscribe, let's say the actually the Buffalo News subscribes to Kegel Cartoons, um, like let's or you know let's say a paper in Philadelphia or something, they will get all the cartoonists that are on Kegel Cartoons, depending on what the fee is, and they can pick and choose from my work or the others. So they, they don't subscribe just to me specifically, mm-hmm. but they get the group that I'm with. Um, but I think and then they have rights to to pick and choose for that day. Yes, any one of the ones any, that are and they available. can search by. What's nice is with Kegel Cartoons, it's all digital, and they can search by topic. And it's very, very, very nice for the editors because they have total control over what topics they're going to be put in and what artists. Um, and do very, cer- very certain, flexibility. Do, do certain artists inspire you? Um, yeah, I mean the early influence. I mean, I loved you know the original Mad Mad Magazine artists like Jack Davis and uh, um, you know and Mort Drucker. Like all those those cartoonists were sort of there for me when I was learning how to draw. Mm-hmm. Um, and then over time, I became a huge David Levine fan. Um, New York Review of Books is just like line art uh, caricatures were like they're 
you know, they had a portrait quality to some of them. And that's, I feel like that was the gold standard. And they had so much detail in just the right spots. Um, and then I, I actually never really followed a lot of car- editorial cartoonists until I got into, you know, high school, college a little bit. And Matt Davies, um, Steve Sack, Clay Bennett were really my three favorite cartoonists. And then there's so many more that are just wonderful. They're all friends of mine now. Um, but beyond that, I feel like I'm just I'm drawn to other random illustrators, you know, and I love all kinds of art. I think that the key to being unique and having your own look and your own voice in general, <coughs> excuse me, is to just not limit yourself to one type of influence, you know, just to be mm-hmm. consume all types of things. Um, you know, I love all types of fine art. I love uh, Philip Burke as a painter is uh, to me like the best caricaturist out there, period. Um, so things like that that are just not the same form, but like, I, you know, you can kind of get inspired um, by someone doing like, you know, you know sculpting, anything really, and, and, and put it toward what you're doing. Um, these days, though, I just I consume Instagram is so full of awesome art that mm. I'm just consuming all kinds of stuff on Instagram. And as a caricaturist, which you are not considered a caricaturist, but how do you uh, how do you focus on a singular part of a person's face or personality and 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 see it? That, that see things that I don't see until afterwards, and then I say, now I see it. Yeah, I mean, there's a caricature. To, the art of caricature is very interesting in that I think. You know, there's like different levels of really capturing someone's essence, and I th- there's a couple of tricks that I think really are essential to make to really nail it. Mm-hmm. And and you don't really pick one feature. Um, there is often one that maybe like stands out the most, but that's that doesn't happen by design typically. I think there are a couple of things that some caricature artists don't necessarily do when you have too much of a formula for someone's face. You, you need to just completely start from scratch geometrically, and you've have to be able to almost picture someone in three dimensions spatially hmm. how what shapes are make up their their being so like not even looking at their eyes or nose or anything else i think it starts just from like you know is their jaw a block shapes. is it you know is it is how long is their neck and the other thing is the posture how someone holds themselves we don't realize it but if you don't get the posture posture so much part of our personality and our essence you know your, your eyes, your nose, your features are you, but what gives you personality is how you hold your features, where you, know, where you put your eyes. Like some things that are asymmetrical, you need, to, you need to play that up. But to see someone in real time on video or in person gives you a huge advantage in drawing a caricature because if you're just going off of still photos, you're drawing a picture of that photo. Mm-hmm. The best caricature, you need to see a dozen photos from all angles, see how they look spatially in three dimensions because then you could create this, this, this image in 3D space in your mind and then for cartooning then you can put them in different positions where you don't have to need to see that exact photo mm-hmm. so there are different ways to sort of you know um, to sort of capture someone on, on, on that level but I mean the posture um, and s- some of these little things and how they move are really part of their personality and that can add an extra um, little emphasis in because there. <laughs> I've just I brought these cartoons because you know of course Putin, the guy with no shirt, immediately I know it's him. But this one, Betsy DeVos, I mean, I looked at that and I immediately knew it was her. And it, it doesn't even, it, why? See, so no, that's, just, I was, I'm, I'm so critical of myself, but like in a week, this one, I had so, Jim Jordan and Betsy DeVos. I was actually sad, happy with how they came out. And that's, I'm so self-critical that that's, that's a rare thing, like almost two in a row. <laughs> So, but I think it's just like any creative muscle, like when you're in a rhythm, um, things, things flow naturally and you don't overthink it. And when I'm drawing these types of caricatures, again, like I said, I, I look at, I'll print out often like a dozen photos mm-hmm. to get not just one, but then I will get one. I know what angle I want them to be in. So I'll find the photo that's kind of closest to that position mm-hmm. and I'll have that as my main reference, but then I'll still incorporate other details from other, other, other photos I have. And I, I, you know, I just sort of, I kind of close my eyes and then I, I draw them on the page. St- I often start with the feature that stands out in my, my head the most. Mm-hmm. So uh, sometimes like with Jim, with Jim Jordan, it was, he had his head down and it's that look in his eyes and, and, and sort of the ears kind of like p- propped up. So I kind of just had his, his eyes and then the ears and I build it from there. 
and you have to sort of build the shape of the face properly. Like, so is it something that, that you look at all the pictures and then something sticks in your mind, you close your eyes, the thing that that sticks out to you or, or is most recognizable in your head? And Yeah, and then often often I'll take, um, I'll do exercises in terms of sketches. So like the first couple of uh, concept sketches for these drawings are sort of the first drafts, but they'll be fast and, mm-hmm. and it's good. I, they, I'm, I'm learning that I need to be fast to get that sort of personality down if i if you if you're trying to draw a portrait and you focus too much on these little details you lose the life in it so the quicker i am i'll often capture somebody in a fast sketch and on printer paper and then i would say most of the time i'm taking my rough sketch and putting it over underneath on a, with a white box underneath my finished uh, bristol board as a scale, as as a guide okay. so i almost trace my own work because that looseness I get in a fast sketch can capture what you know rendering it over rendering it doesn't doesn't get. So you you finally decide on your final uh, whatever it's going to be for the day. Does it need to go past an editorial uh, inspection of some kind? Um, yeah, it's, I I definitely I just show Kevin Walter or whoever's if he's not there Mike Connolly or whoever's in charge um, mm-hmm. that day. Uh, typically Kevin, though my editorial page editor. I'll just show him, this is, I'll give him a copy, I'll say this is what I'm planning on doing, and if there's any objection, he will let me know, but it's typically, it's, um, you know, it's rare that they will get pushed back unless it's, if it's a defendable opinion on something that's in the news. Um, the only time I ever get real pushback could be the, if, if the visual itself could could be taken offensively and d- taken away from my point, distract from the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, they just they want to see what it, you know what I'm going with, and 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 they're cool with that. Then I just move forward. So and and do you end up doing it in color? Because it always do, appears yeah. on Facebook the next day in color. Yeah. But I wasn't sure if it's later colorized by somebody else. But your that's, your final image is color. That's that's me uh, drawing and, and colorizing it on uh, digital watercolor. And uh, after the fact, after the fact, I probably mm. spend too much time doing it, honestly, only because well, they're beautiful. I I, mean, I love doing it and I enjoy it, but it's st- I never did color for the longest time, and I was resistant because I'm very old school and I love like you know David Levine, New York mm-hmm. Review of Books, his line art drawings. Everybody was going to color, um, and like and then my syndicate told me. A lot of papers that are reproducing these cartoons, they require them in color for their website. Or, you know, you'll start losing clients, and I still said no. And then Margaret Sullivan, she, one, the former editor of the news who went on to the— She's not with the Times. Not with the Times, yeah. was at the Washington Post. And she um, she was served on the, uh, the board, the Pulitzer board, um, as a board member. So she— you know, with the way the Pulitzer works, um, I was a juror for my my uh, for editorial cartooning two years. So we would we would pick the three finalists if you're a juror for that category, and then when you pick the three finalists and write their citations, you send all that to the board. The Pulitzer board then, in each category, selects the winner from the three, and if they're not satisfied, they can say give us others. Mm. And she told me on the cartooning side, she just. You know, she was like the portfolios that were large and colorful. They just there are two portfolios. One was in black and white. One was in color. If they were the exact same in terms of, you know, level of you know craftsmanship and originality of everything, all things being equal, color did give a little bit of an edge. Hmm. And after I spoke with her about it, I'm, I'm like, you know what? My syndicate's been clamoring about it. I'm going to do it. And some cartoonists, like Tolls and some others, they have somebody color it for them, and. It's tough because it's a time saver. Yes. But I've talked to him about it, and he also kind of laments that he doesn't he regrets, always. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I've spent a lot of time on it. But when they print, like you know, I make prints or at, for art shows, they look like watercolor p- paintings. You know. So I'm, I'm, I think the, the and the right color the, the for the right cartoon color does enhance the point or just grab you a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I think I think the black and white is is perfectly fine, but I do see them the next day on Facebook or or some yeah. somewhere, right. and I say, boy, that's beautiful. Yeah. And I've always wondered whether you did it yourself or whether the news has some, you know, right, right, you know, you know what I should get on there. I need I need a color a colorist. I you need, need a color intern yeah, is I what do. you need. I need so, a color intern. All right, this is the last thing because I got to ask you this, as 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 an editorial cartoonist. What's your mission? What's your goal? I know you wrote down that you know stronger call, cartoons call out injustice, inequity, something viewed as unfair. It has to be standing up for what's right. 
Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that in any way or, or make it more succinct? I mean, you know, I've, I feel like I may, have, may say this too much, but, you know, to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted sort of summarizes both ends of what we're trying to do as cartoonists. I mean, um, for me, and right now, I think cartoonists and opinion makers, I think they're, what they're doing sort of may evolve with the times. And because we're in the time we are now, the most succinct way I can I can say what I'm trying to do is defend the truth, and and speak up for the reality that we we are in, yes. and, and fight for fight for what I believe is right. I mean, I know that sounds. And since we're in a situation where people just don't, you know, it goes back to Thomas Nast. Yes. And and because boss boss Tweed said, you know, my people don't read or can't read. Right. But the pictures yes. affect them greatly. Yeah. So we're in a situation now where people don't read, not that they can't, but they they don't, and yes. sometimes a picture. Is, is so much more powerful. It, it is. And it's it's really interesting in that um, I think maybe years ago I would try to persuade more with multiple panels or argue in terms of my point, but I know that's not really natural for the medium I'm in. I think I need to use the visual and utilize um, a, prov- a provocative image and and something almost that has some emotion to it to sort of persuade, to have punch. I think that the visceral reaction someone can get from an image, that's the advantage it has over the written word. So mm-hmm. I'm, I've been more each year like trying to utilize that as a strength in my work um, to focus on concepts that are simple and strong visuals um, that can maybe sort of have a lasting impact on your mind. Um, and, you know, and you, I know that I'm not going to Hear an e- get an email from someone that says, you know what? After reading your editorial cartoon, I've changed, I've my, changed mind. my mind. You know, and that's the yeah. problem with the, the with the the time that we're in. What I want to do is start a conversation, and it, it will give, it, it'll encapsulate the passion and and beliefs that 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 some people have and that are fighting for, and it'll give them a boost. And then others, it may elicit a reaction that will start a conversation with me. And then from that conversation with either me or another reader or someone else. It's creating a, a dialogue, and Perhaps that's what we. Planted a seed. That's what the hope is, yeah. to, to get the mind turning and to just create, to get us talking again. Um, so you know, get us talking again. I mean, that's the Adam. Hope. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot, um, and and it, it was a it was really a thrill and an honor to be with a Pulitzer Prize winner. I am so impressed. Well, thank you so much for having me. The pleasure was mine. It was it was a lot of fun. Thanks, Adam. How about that? Afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. What a great philosophy. Ah, it's a shame that this was recorded before I thought of the new off-road question where I ask a person, if you were taking a different road, if you had gone off the road, in this case of cartooning, what would you be doing? But I suspect Adam would be doing cartooning in comic books. Of course, that's still cartooning, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know what he would have said. I wish I had thought of it sooner. Future podcasts, maybe I will. And it's the last chance to see the Antipodes over at the Road Less Traveled Theater at 456 Main Street. And don't forget, you can get free valet parking right across the street at the Hilton Garden Inn. The show closes on Sunday the 9th, so you've got a few more chances to get there. I highly recommend it. Don't say I didn't warn you. And that's it for our bi-weekly podcast here on Off-Road. We'll see you again next time. I'd like to give you a tease about who's going to be on next time, but frankly, (laughs) I don't know yet.